and to pray for the AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina. And this morning we have the opportunity to do something a little bit more. Uh, that's one of the great advantages of being a part of the family of God. It's well beyond walls and geographical boundaries. So if you listened to Phone Tree yesterday, I'm almost every Saturday going to give you some information about Sunday, so listen carefully to that. If you've not done it already, after the service this morning, you can walk out of those doors. There are four or five tables with cloth on them, black tablecloth and some notes. If you just want to write on there, just want you to know your brothers in Christ are praying for you, standing with you, whatever that would mean, what you could say is what up to you or what God's telling you to say. But write that out, and then right after the service, as many as want to are going to go outside underneath the canopy. There's a banner made. Your brothers and sisters in Christ and Butler are praying for you. We're going to take a picture of that, send it all to the AME Church in South Carolina, letting them know that we're praying for them. So if you can do that, we would love to have you. Right after the service, go outside the doors, a banner there, have your picture taken. For those of you who don't want, that's fine. But if you do, we'd love to have as many as possible participate. A lot of great things coming up at Community Alliance Church. You realize September the 5th, we are going to celebrate 110 years of our existence here in Butler. And the Alliance itself is only 126 years old. I mean, that's amazing to me. We're going to celebrate it that particular weekend with our president, John Stumbo. He's going to be here all weekend and specifically wants to celebrate it with you. So I'd love to have you back. That is Labor Day weekend. So I'm going to ask you a favor. Don't go anywhere else. Come here. Guarantee you, you won't regret it in any way at all. During the month of August, over in the Legacy Room, we're going to have someone set up to just take some video snippets of you saying an answer to this question. This is how CAC's impacted me. This is what it's done for me. We're going to pawn a montage together so that we can share it that particular Sunday. You'll hear more information about that. Every year I've wanted to do a major concert ever since we opened this building. And we had Tim Hawkins and Big Daddy Weave. This year, October the 3rd, we're going to have all of these groups come here that particular weekend on a Saturday night. Cutlass, Rush of Fools, About a Mile, Mark Schultz going to have a three-hour concert October the 3rd right here in our auditorium. And their tickets are going on sale through iTickets tomorrow. So if you want one, make sure you get them because I'm absolutely certain we're going to sell out and it's going to be a phenomenal night. And on Friday, I just verified for Man Camp 2016, Tunch Ilkins is going to be there and be our speaker for the weekend. So we got some good stuff coming up that we want you to be a part of. A couple of months ago, when I was recognizing that I had the month of June when I would finish Acts before I go on vacation for a couple of Sundays to share, I said, God, what specific do you want me to talk about? What book of the Bible, you know, that's been our journey over the last number of years, do you want me to address? And it was pretty clear that I sensed Daniel. As I began to look at the month and how it laid out, and obviously what we have been facing and what's gone on the last few weeks, specifically Friday, I'm absolutely certain that I'd heard from God. And that he wanted us to talk about the subject, how do we as followers of Christ live in a world that doesn't embrace our values? Now, I'm not sure if you recognize the parallels of that in the world that you live in, but it couldn't be more relevant with where we are. How do I, as a follower of Christ, one who believes in Jesus as my Savior, not just know that God exists, James said even demons believe that he exists, but how do I, as a follower of Christ, one who's embraced Jesus as my Savior, wants to live his values, wants to live biblical truth, how do I live that out in a world that doesn't embrace it at all? How do I live it out in a world that rejects it? How do I live it out in a world that sometimes turns its back on it and sometimes even turns its back on me? We hear that about our nation. 
We were a Christian nation. What happened to us? Now, no nation in and of itself is Christian. Not the nation isn't. The people can be. And even as conservative as we may be in some respects doesn't guarantee Christianity. People, our our founders founded this nation on Judeo-Christian values and beliefs. They used the Bible as the word of God as well as a foundation for that. Many of them are believers. But if you're aware of anything that's gone on over the last few weeks, months, and years, you recognize that we're going down a dark tunnel. Our president on Friday said, this is a great day for America. Not at all. We're continuing to turn away from what we know and understand as biblical truth. And one of the things that I found classically relevant in the Word of God is that he has given us those examples over and over and over again down through history. What we're dealing with is not new in relative to history or in relation to history. But we are living it and we are living it now. And we need to understand how do we as people of faith who believe in the Word of God as truth Deal with a world that seems to value less and less what we have to say, what we stand for, and in many cases what we stand for comes under attack. Now I wrote all of that on Wednesday and Thursday and since this is what God wanted me to do weeks and weeks ago. Friday when I got the announcement from the nation about the Supreme Court's ruling, as you can well imagine, I had a number of emails and a number of people responding to me and sending me things that I ought to say and ways that I ought to address. And so I want to say up front, I'm going to disappoint somebody this morning. As you can well imagine, I got email after email from so many different sources as to how do we respond to that. And what do we say? What do we as pastors say? What do we as believers, how do we respond to a world that seems to go less and less against or away from what we understand as biblical values? The definition of marriage between one man and one woman, Romans chapter 1 that you see in your sermon notes this morning. How do we deal with all of that and how do we respond to it? Things that stood out to me over the last few days is, especially these last couple of days, is people who wrote about some of the very verses that we're dealing with this morning. Jesus predicted these things are going to happen. The Apostle Paul said these things are going to happen. In the last day, it's going to get worse and worse and worse. One of the upsides of what I see right now is the worse it gets, the more I realize that Jesus is coming soon. And in these last days, things are going to get really dark. How do we let our light shine in the middle of that? And Jim Daly from Focus on the Family talks specifically about how to let our light shine and that we are salt of the earth and the light of the world. And Jesus, in the middle of those dark environments, encourages us to let our light so shine. The editor of World Magazine talked about Daniel and how he was in a very dark environment in a world that didn't embrace his values, didn't believe in his God at all, and how solid he remained in the middle of all that darkness. And I realize these are the exact things that we're dealing with. President of the Christian Missionary Alliance, John Stumbo, sent a letter out on Friday afternoon. As Alliance family, we hold scripture higher than any human reasoning or courts. Our hope is in Christ, not in any political or judicial system. The current trajectory of our nation is a steady walk away from historic Christianity and biblical teaching. Today's ruling is one more marker on that dangerous trail. However... As an alliance family, we hold scripture higher than any human reasoning or courts. We welcome the love of Jesus to flow through our hearts, even to all of those who may disagree with us. And we refuse to get into shouting matches over these issues. We will continue to uphold biblical values and Christian understanding of marriage determined by our creator. Under no circumstances will our clergy perform weddings contrary to biblical standards. 
Meanwhile, though, we will take every opportunity that everyone we encounter to extend to them the life-giving gospel of Jesus in a loving manner. That's our response as followers of Christ. Jesus said, if you remember, if we decide to become a follower of Christ, the world's not going to embrace our values. The world's not going to believe what we believe. It's not going to embrace our standards. As a matter of fact, on some occasions, it may even hate us. Paul said, in the last days, I need you to know there's going to be some really terrible times. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient, ungrateful, and unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ is going to be persecuted. While evildoers and imposters seem to go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, but you... That's talking to us. Continue in what you know is truth. Continue in what you believe. And continue in what you've embraced. Continue in what you know is true. Now, knowing all of that, that we have been predicted, it's been predicted, we'll live in that kind of world. Knowing all of that, what are some of the ways that we can respond? Jesus in your sermon notes gives us direction. Daniel gives us an example. And that's where we are today. In Matthew chapter 5, I have all of these in your sermon notes this morning because there's so much scripture that I'm alluding to. I want to make sure that you take the time this afternoon or this week at some point to walk through it and see the context of this message. Matthew 5, in one of Jesus' very first sermons, he says this, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely accuse you of all kinds of evil things. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets before you. In light of all of that, be the salt of the earth. The salt loses its saltiness. It can't be made salty again. It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out. You're the light of the world. Town built on a hill can't be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and they give light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they can see your good works and glorify your God in heaven. We think separate. On Friday afternoon, I want to secede from the union, do everything I possibly could to start our own little state and our own little country. And that's many times the response. We want to separate. We want to get out. We want to go away. We want to somehow understand what's going on. Jesus says influence. That's exactly what Daniel did. In a wicked culture, he thrived and excelled in a world that didn't embrace his values and didn't acknowledge his God at all. Daniel chapter 6 is where you are this morning. I'm going to read to you a good bit of it, and we're going to pull some insights from it. Daniel 6, beginning at verse 1. Now, if you were here last Sunday morning, we acknowledged the fact that when the king built that tower and all of the things that were going to happen after that as one nation after another nation after another nation began to crumble, Babylon walked away and went away. The Medes and the Persians came in. Darius, the king now here in verse 6, is king of the Medes and Persians. He appointed 120, NIV says satraps. Anybody know what a satrap is? It's a governor. It's a ruler. To rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of them being Daniel. These governors were made accountable so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and governors by his exceptional qualities, the king planned 
to set him over the whole kingdom. Now, hearing this, the other administrators and governors tried to find grounds for charges against him and his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy, neither corrupt nor negligent. In a corruptible world system with kickbacks and favors, Daniel remains solid. First that I have for you there in a cross-reference in 1 Peter is when Peter is also predicting some of the things that are going to take place. He said, look, this is what I want you to do. In a world that doesn't embrace your values, in an environment at work that doesn't believe what you believe, that doesn't want you to talk about God or bring your Bible or have a cup that says Jesus is the way or talk about Christmas, in that world, I want you to live such a good life, such a godly life that even when they see that, even if they try to find something wrong with you, They'll see your good works and they'll glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether the emperor or the supreme authority. Daniel in this context already hundreds of years before this was written was applying that. He was disciplined. He was conscientious. He was trustworthy. He was hardworking. He distinguished himself. He did his job the best that he knew how. These men that tried to find something under him or against him couldn't find anything. Finally, they said this in verse 5. We'll never find any basis for charges against this man unless it has something to do with the law of his God. As followers of Jesus Christ... Now, I don't, again, mean those who just believe that God exists. As followers of Jesus Christ, who's invited him into their life, who know Jesus is their Savior, who embrace biblical values and know the truth of God's word, as followers of Jesus Christ, we ought to be the absolute best employees an employer can find. As followers of Jesus Christ, knowing what we know about God, knowing what we know about the opportunities we have to be light in this world, we ought to be the absolute best employees an employer can find. We should be honest, trustworthy. We should work hard, give it our all. We shouldn't be all about drama. We should be loyal. We shouldn't be demanding. We don't use people. Instead of complaining and whining, we should improve ourselves and the environment. We should be the best everyone can find and make our workplace the best it can possibly be. Right? But that doesn't always happen. Many times with those who claim to be followers of Christ. Those who are followers of Christ ought to be the best anyone can find. The examples are over and over again all the way through Scripture. Trustworthy, loyal, not demanding, not whining, trying to make our environment a better place, not for ourselves, but for the glory of God even in an environment that doesn't embrace our values, even in an environment that makes it very difficult to be a believer. As followers of Christ, there are example after example all the way through Scripture to show that we can be the absolute best employee an employer can ever find. I've done hundreds of (laughs) reviews down through the ages. You imagine the amount of times that I've had people say or blame that on the system for poor performance or someone else as opposed to saying, if you did a review, if you were the employer and you did a review of someone and after it was all over, they said to you, you know what? You're right. I really appreciate the insights you've given me. I know I can improve. There are some areas that I can improve in. I want to do my best to make you look good. I want to do my best to make this environment look better. You imagine how many employers hear that when they do reviews. Usually it's the opposite of that. Even when I love 
the examples all the way through scripture. Even when Jesus reviewed the churches in the book of Revelation, he started out positive. And he gave them some encouragement along the way. And then he said, but these are the things I need you to do. Even in that environment, Jesus started out positive and then shared the things that needed to be done. I love the people throughout my career. And I'm sure for those of you I've heard from who, when they're in that context, really do want to do better, not for themselves, not for their own glory, not for their own advancement, but just want to do their best because they know they have the opportunity to let Jesus so shine through them that even an unbelieving, whoever it may be, king, government official, or boss, will see that truth is truth. And when it's lived out, can be attractive. You want a great biblical example on how to lead well and especially lead up? Read the first two chapters of Nehemiah. I mean, the scripture is filled with examples over and over again. Nehemiah gives a clinic on how to lead up, which is lead his bosses over him. He's going to walk into the king knowing that he could get killed just for walking in and making a request, saying, I need some time off. Matter of fact, I'm not even sure when I come back. And while I'm gone, I'm going to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, I'd love for you to pay for that. Who would do that? Unless he's able to say what he does in those first two chapters, if I have found favor in your eyes, this is what I'm asking. He gives us a clinic on leading up. As followers of Jesus Christ, we ought to be the best employees anyone can ever find, even in an environment that doesn't embrace our values. The other thing that you see about Daniel here in this chapter is that he doesn't flaunt his faith, he lives it out. In verses 6 to 10, the administrators, when they realized they couldn't get anything on him, he was so good, so solid, so lived his values, they come up with an idea, and that is to go to the king and say, I want you to issue an edict. That if anyone prays for the next 30 days to any other God but you or our gods, especially their own God, except to you, I, I want to make sure that, that you write it all down. And if they don't obey this, they get thrown into the lion's den. The king says, great idea. Full of himself, obviously, anyhow. And he does that. When Daniel learns about that, verse 10 of chapter 6, when Daniel learns about that decree, he went home to his upstairs room, opened the window toward Jerusalem, got down on his knees, and prayed. Gave thanks to God just as he always had done before. That's an amazing response to what he knows is going to happen and how he knows he's going to take his stand. Daniel's a perfect example of what Jesus said in Matthew 5. You're the salt of the earth. When he uses that phrase, Jesus, I'm saying, he's not describing what we are. He's describing what we're to be. People of influence, people who flavor, people who make the environment better. Salt does absolutely no good if it remains in the shaker. And it wasn't meant just to flavor. It was used to preserve the things that would go bad without it. It was used to preserve the things that would go bad without it. Do you think our society is going bad? Anybody? If we remove ourselves and say, well, that's, yep, we knew it was going that way, and we'll just stand here and pray. We'll just stand here and do our own thing. We'll have nothing to do with it. Do you think it's going to get better? 
Salt was used to make the environment better. It means to put ourselves in places, in lies, in situations where we can help restore what is broken, which is exactly what Jesus did when he came into this world. When Jesus looked at humanity, and he and God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit had this plan from the beginning of time that the only way to ever rescue lost humanity was he himself to come. I love Galatians 4.4, in the right time, at the right moment of time, God parted heaven and Jesus came. I've often wondered, at that moment, what triggered that? What was it that at that particular time, with hundreds and thousands of years of history, that God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit looked down and said, now, now is the time. And in the middle of that broken world that was so disintegrating and so turned upside down, Jesus walked right into that mess and, John tells us, he tabernacled. He dwelt right among us. If you go high or if you are, are trying to go high or what you can accomplish for your name so that your name would be known, you missed it. We're in these environments to bring peace and love and joy, justice where injustice exists, but not in your face with the love of Jesus influencing and showing a better way, which is exactly what Jesus meant for us to do when he said, you're the light of the world. When Jesus was about to come into the kingdom and and to his own (coughs) ministry, John had predicted he was coming, his cousin John the Baptist Constantly said, the light of the world's coming, the light of the world's coming, the light of the world's coming. There he is. Jesus, that's him, that's him, that's the light, that's what I've been talking about. The light of the world has now come. And Matthew, when he began, he turned it all around to us and said, now you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. I want you to so shine, not in their face, not in a, in a, in their face kind of way, but I want you to shine so much with the love of Christ that they'll be attracted to what it is that you have to show them. If this place went dark, whoa, is that good? (laughs) If this place went dark, what would you rather? Somebody shine a light in your eyes or show you the way? Would you rather have them shine a light in your eyes or show you the way? Absolutely. Thank you. Okay, was that good timing or what? (laughs) Wouldn't you want that? And so often I see Christians who are shining the light in people's eyes as opposed to showing them the way of what Jesus has to offer. A better way, more love, more grace, more understanding in a world that is so confused that has no idea where to turn. You and I have the opportunity to let our light so shine that others will see us. Somehow we have thought through years that, well, maybe I need to get in ministry because I can influence a lot of people. I can make a difference by that. I love the fact that Daniel had all the gifts necessary to be a prophet or a priest, but instead found himself in a secular job in a pagan environment, and he excelled at it. You want to, if God's called you into ministry and to be a missionary around the world, absolutely go that direction. But you don't have to be a pastor or a missionary to make a profound impact on the kingdom. You'll have opportunities to influence hundreds more than I ever will. Right where God has placed you in an environment that you may not like and understand that doesn't embrace your values, you will have the opportunity to impact hundreds more than I'll ever have the opportunity to impact. Right where you are. But to do that, you've got to let your light shine. They won't always understand you. 
Like Daniel, they may try to hurt you or kill you. Comes with the territory. Jesus said it was going to happen, so don't be surprised. And don't be shocked by how awful the world is. The Bible said it's going to happen, but we can make a difference. Right where he's placed us. In chapter 6, verses 15 to 28, the story continues to play out. King hears about it. They bring all the attention to Daniel. They know, and the king knows, that he has to do exactly what he said he would do and throws him in the lion's den. And so he does that. He throws him in in verse 16 of chapter 6. May your God, whom you serve continually, I love that phrase, continually, not when it feels good, not when it's appropriate, not when I'm confronted, not on Sunday only, but continually, may he rescue you and save you. Stone was brought, put a seal in front of it, Daniel's, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. And the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating, without any entertainment being brought to him. He couldn't even sleep. First dawn, he gets up, hurries to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called out to Daniel in anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve, I love the phrase again, continually, been able to rescue you from the lions. Daniel answered, which just the voice alone must have been phenomenal. May the king live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the mouths of the lion. How many times have I prayed that prayer? God shut the mouths of those who are trying to destroy. Shut the mouths of the lion. They haven't hurt me because I was found innocent in your sight, nor have, they done, or have I done any wrong. There are times in life that we're going to walk through the lion's den. There are times in life like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we may get thrown in the fiery furnace. And it may be as hot as you can be, possibly imagine. But years and years ago, God made us a number of promises, two of them that have always stood out in my mind. One is, of course, from Psalms when it said, I will walk with you even through the valley of the shadow of death. Hebrews, he repeats an Old Testament promise, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. You may not survive it like they did, but I'm telling you right now, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, even if it's through the valley of the shadow of death, I will walk right with you. But notice the line that I have in your notes this morning. If you want him to walk with you and be with you, you need to make sure he's in you. That I really do understand who I am, what Christ did, what he offers, and that I've embraced him for myself so that I have the same promise that his saints have been walking with forever, that he will be with me no matter what and right by my side. In the... 23rd verse, I love this. It says, The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. When Daniel was lifted to the end, there was no, found, no wound found on him because he had trusted in his God. I, I love the fact that in the middle of all of that, the king is overjoyed. And I wrote this, this phrase in my notes. You shine your light bright enough and you may even win over the king. You shine your light bright enough and you may even win over the king. But let me tell you this, even if you don't, the king of kings and the Lord of lords will be pleased with how you lived your light. And how you let it shine. You may not win over the king. He may not be joyed at all. Or overjoyed at all with your stand. Or your values or what you know is true. But the king of kings. If I let my light shine. Not in their face. But show them the way. And let them see Jesus in me. The king of kings and the lord of lords. Will be pleased. These are really uncertain times in human history. Not like they have been uncertain times before. But these are absolutely, in these last few years, in these next coming years, extremely uncertain times in human history. Not just for America. It's usually what we see and what we know. But for the world around us. 
But in the middle of all of that uncertainty are three things I know I'm certain of. A lot more than that, but only three I want to share with you this morning. One is, and that is that the king in this case in verse 23 is right. We, our God is a living God and he endures forever and his kingdom will not be destroyed and his dominion will never end. I am absolutely certain that our God is the living God. His kingdom will endure forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed and his dominion will never end. Of that in the midst of all the uncertainty I'm certain of. The second thing I'm certain of is this world is not my home. This world is not my home. I got a home someday that's being prepared for me for the last 2,000 years. And when the time is right, he's going to come again. He's going to look at humanity, part the ways, part the clouds. He's going to come back. He's going to take me home. So the worse it gets, the more I know that day is right around the corner. And this heaven is not my home. And I look forward to a place where God reigns, God rules, God's supreme. And I can worship him and give him praise and live with the people of God who love and embrace his values for all eternity. I know for certain in the midst of all of this uncertainty that this world is not my home. And the third thing I know for sure is that there will come a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There will come a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that I am certain of. So in the midst of all the uncertainty and all the darkness that we face, I'm holding on to those three things because I have no idea what tomorrow holds. I thought I did. Until I've watched all the events unfold in the last few weeks, I have absolutely no idea what tomorrow holds, but I know for sure those three things. If you don't know for sure those things, we can help you. God, help us if we don't understand the opportunities that he's given in front of us to make an enormous difference in a world that has obviously lost its way. Man, let our light shine. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for examples over and over again. I see in your word is fascinating. Pieces of scripture that were written 2,500 years ago could have been written yesterday. And so God, I, I thank you for the opportunities you're going to give us. Believe that in the middle of all of this that the people of God are going to share their light and share their love and share their grace. There could be another great awakening people of God will have unprecedented opportunities to let their light shine. So may that be said of us. This is the people that I love, people that I lived with that I call home. And for those of us in this place, wherever you have placed us, may we make a difference. May our lives be so marked by you that others will see it and want what we have and want what we have to offer not because of us but all because of you thank you for your amazing grace and your love and for your word and for the power that it holds in the name of Jesus I pray amen about three or four days ago I had written in my notes that today we're going to conclude uh, the book of Daniel and I'm not sure of that to be really honest with you there's one more piece that I would love to get to that I just had been working on for the last couple of days. Every year when we do membership class, usually in the fall and the spring, and people talk about why us and what they enjoy about here, one of the things that comes up every single year is that it doesn't matter who's here or who's there. God still moves and blesses, and they're amazed by what he does. 
And so for the next three Sundays when I'm gone, I'm guaranteeing you we will not miss a beat with Coase, Keith, I call him Coase, Keith next week, Joe the following week, Jim the week after that. You will not want to miss and be a part of all of that. I love you like crazy, and I'll see you in a couple weeks. If you want to be a part of the picture, we'd love you to do that this morning. And walk out of the